Ladies and gentlemen, young men and old matrons, those of you with two legs, one leg, or no leg at all, this is your lucky day. This is your lucky day. Are you tired of dragging through life? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Always feeling like you're pulling a one-ton anchor behind you everywhere you go? Well, I have for sale today, and only today, at a discounted price, a gift from the gods, medicine from on high. That's right. I have for sale only three saw bucks and a fin, and for you young fellows like Malachi out there, that's $35 for you. This is Doc Mitchell's patented original cure-all formula straight from the nectar of the gods. It cures headaches, shingles, cough, cold, sneezing, hiccups, gout, gonorrhea, diphtheria, damp lung, mumps, measles, whooping cough, tuberculosis, and for those of you who have romantic inklings, that's right, it also works as a love potion. 35 greenbacks. That's all I ask. You will be practically stealing from me. Who of you, who of you wouldn't want to pay enough to keep your loved one healthy? $35. So don't be shy. Come on up right now, right up here, folks. Get this miracle cure. You're probably thinking, what is wrong with Pastor Chris? Something has happened to him? Well, my friends... You remember back in the day, you probably heard stories of these guys that would come into town sweeping in the carnival, and they would be some creepy guy making money off of a lie. The better the sales job, the more money you made. As some would say, did you know that there's a sucker born every minute? Well, in Paul's day, these same kind of guys would come through town. They'd go from town to town with the new message of Christ, and they were called, quote, super apostles. They'd be selling religion for a price. And they'd be making a whole lot of money. But then along comes Paul, a completely different kind of guy. Paul did not come to make money. He came to change lives. And so because of this, he would not take pay. Because of this, he would do ministry a whole lot different than these false prophets, these super apostles. So today, if you can stand, we are going to be reading in 1 Corinthians 9, which is probably his biggest defense on why he did what he did as an apostle. Because they didn't, um, they were stopped following him and they started following these hucksters. And basically the point of this message today is he does everything for one reason. For the sake of the gospel. Period. Start in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul writes, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 
Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So he says, do we have, not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So he's going to talk about why he gives up rights. And then his point is verse 12b. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right or any rights, but we endure anything, anything, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today, so you may be seated. And the point is, we do all things for the sake of the gospel. So people, look at verse 3. So verse 3, he says, this is my defense. Because people were coming and criticizing him and doubting his apostleship. That's why in the beginning, what he's going to do is he's first of all going to say, well, I'm an apostle. Look what he says in verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he not only saw Jesus face to face, in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, he was on a road to Damascus and he saw Jesus. He had a confrontation with the living Lord. And then in verse 2 he goes, If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. So he's talking to the church. He's going, maybe other people don't think I'm an apostle, but I am to you. Why? Because... You are the seal of my apostleship, meaning your lives are different because I have come. So the first thing he's saying is he's saying that, you know what, I'm a genuine apostle and look at your lives. You should not doubt my ministry, but they did. And they doubted his ministry because of two big questions. So what he's going to do is he's going to give a defense of apostleship because these were the two big questions they had about Paul. The first question was, if you are so important, Paul, why work to earn wages like a commoner? So, for instance, he was, he was not accepting pay from the church. And in those days, in the Greek culture, aristocratic and even middle-class Greeks despised manual labor, and Paul would work as a tent maker, he'd get his hands dirty. But to the Greeks, that's what slaves were for. They would hire slaves to do the grunt work of everyday life. So the more important people could philosophize and think and enjoy sports and leisure and not do the menial tasks. And so what he's doing is he's addressing, Paul, if you're really that important, you'd take pay. I can remember when we built this church, a couple people thought that it was important for me as the senior pastor, to have my own parking spot right in the front with a sign that said, Reserve for Senior Pastor. I thought it was a nice gesture. I mean, it really was. But am I any better than the common peasant in the pew? No. Of course not. The second complaint of Paul is this, and we're going to see this in a minute. Is Paul seemed kind of wishy-washy to the Jews. He was like, to the Jew, to the non-Jew, he was like a non-Jew to the weak. He was weak. Talks about this in verse 20. And so as an apostle, you shouldn't flip-flop. If you're going to say something, stick to it. Why is he changing his behavior instead of having other people change their behavior around him? And he's going to talk about that in a second. So basically, he's going to answer these two questions. 
In the first way, he answers the first one. Shouldn't, Paul, you receive pay for your ministry? And so what he's going to do is he's going to go through a lot of verses to say yes. Ministers should, and they can get paid. That's really what verses 7 through 15 is about. Verse 7, look what he says in verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants at a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of its milk? So verse 7, he's saying, logic illustrates that those who work should get paid for their work. So yeah, if you're a minister, an apostle, you should get paid. And in verses 8 through 13, he's going to talk about the law. Look at verse 8. He goes, do I say these things on human authority? No, does the law not, does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses in the Old Testament, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain. So he's saying the principle of the Old Testament is, even an ox gets to eat the work that he does. So he goes and he, he makes this long argument and says in the Old Testament, even priests, this is verse 13, even priests would get a share of the offering. And then he says in verse 14, even Jesus himself encourages people to get paid. Look at verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So I could make this a big long sermon why you should pay your pastors. I don't want to do that. That's not the point. The point is, Paul is saying, even though I should get paid and demand payment, verse 15, he says, I'm not going to get paid. I choose not to. Look at verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. So I am not asking for pay. Why? Why isn't Paul demanding pay? He's an apostle. He should. We'll talk about that in a second. So then he's going to answer this next question. You know, is it wrong that he flip-flops and he's, are you still an apostle even though you kind of change your behavior? And he's saying yes. In fact, we all should be willing to adapt our behavior. Look at verse 20. He's saying, to the Jew I become as a Jew. To those under the law I become as one under the law. Verse 21. To those outside the law I become as one outside the law. Verse 22, to the weak I become weak that I might win the weak. Verse 23, I do it all. Or actually the end of verse 22, I have become all things to all people. So Paul is basically saying, I have become all things to all people, as should all Christians. Why? Well, he's saying because freedom is not the goal, serving others is. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. So he's saying, my goal isn't to just win and make money off of you and have things my way. My, my goal is to serve other people. We're here to serve one another. So he becomes a Jew to the Jews, to serve the Jews. He, he becomes uh, weak to the weak, to serve the weak. But he also does this because what he's Wanting to do is find common understanding in sharing in life matters. The things that matter in life, he wants to share those things. Look at verse 22. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He is trying to learn and empathize and sympathize and walk alongside other, other people. Even people he doesn't understand. 
Even though he's a Jew, he'll do it with the Greeks. He'll even eat with them. He'll eat unkosher food with them. So does it mean Paul's trying to be fake? Trying to be somebody he's not? No. It's not trying to be one of those politicians that changes his voice when they go south, you know, like a talk like that all of a sudden. He's not changing who he is. He's doing it for a very specific reason. Some Bible teachers call this being incarnational, living incarnationally. Jesus left heaven, put on human skin so we could understand him and he could understand us. In the same way, when it comes to different races, cultures, ages, we don't just, as Christians, criticize them and think we're better and look down upon them and get angry at them and divide. We should try to empathize and understand. Paul says, in your empathy and understanding of verse 21, don't compromise convictions. Look at verse 21. He says, to those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He's still under the law of Christ. He's still going to have convictions that glorify God. But, but why? Why? So the question is why? That's really the point of this passage. He's not going into a long diatribe to just talk about how he should get paid. He's not here to just say, I'm just, look at me, I'm becoming all things to all people, but why? Why do these things? For the sake of the gospel. Paul is willing to give up pay for the sake of the gospel. Even though he was a Jew, sometimes he didn't act like a Jew. For the sake of the gospel. Even though he's a Roman citizen, he sometimes acted like a weak peasant. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Why should we care about those we are nothing like? For the sake of the gospel. Why should I work at a job out in, uh, you know, up in Sparta, Kent City, Nuevo Grand area where they grow apples when I could have got a job downtown Chicago for the sake of the gospel? We do all things for the sake of the gospel. We do all things for this. Because this is worth it. Look at verse 23. And this, is, this isn't really a message of just teaching, you know, so you understand this passage. What I want you to do is I really want you to examine your heart based on verse 23. I do it all. I do everything. Everything I do is for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings with other people, with my friends, my family, that I might share in the blessings of the gospel. For Paul, the gospel was of such importance he was willing to decline money so people wouldn't think he's just some cheap snake oil salesman. Look at 12b again. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Look at 15 to 18. I have made no use of any of these rights, but I am writing these things to secure any such provision 
For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What's his ground for boasting? The gospel's free, so I'm going to make it free. I'm not going to have you take that away from me. That's his whole point. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Meaning, God has put me in the job of apostle. I have to do it. And it's all for the sake of the gospel. So really my question for you is, is the gospel, is this worth sacrificing for? Is, is it worth supporting pastors financially or missionaries across the ocean? Is it worth learning this so well that you can explain it to anybody? Is this worth that? So the, the question really is to you, is the gospel important? Is it really important? He says, so that I might share in its blessings. And I know that says blessings. Is a, I'll do a better slide next time, Bob. Don't worry about it. It'll be better. Blessings has the idea of this. Is it really good news? Is this really good news? I mean, honestly. Or is it just something we do on Sunday? I'm just, I'm supposed to come Sunday. My grandma went, my mom went. But is it really good news for you? I mean, honestly. And then the, the second thing he asked, he, he talks about sharing in its blessings. So if I share this message with other people, are there really blessings now that they can get and that I can get along with them? Are there blessings? It's kind of like buying a product. Do you believe the benefits of the gospel are worth the cost of sacrificing your life for it? Why? Like I could give, as I sat down to write this message, I gave, I can give ten reasons why the gospel means something to me off the top of my head. But I don't want you to, to buy this because I say so. It has to be because you believe it's so. That in the depth of your soul, it's worth everything. And we need to leave it linger. Your answer cannot be because the pastor told me. It has to be something you believe in the depth of your being. It must be compelling enough that you will buy it with your own treasure. Because if you personally don't think this is worth that much, you won't live the way Paul lives in here. You won't change your behavior. I will give you one reason why I think this is worth it. And this is just my personal reason. And um, I'm convinced of this. Romans 1.16 says one of the most amazing things. It says that the gospel, the belief that Jesus died, rose again on the third day, says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What that means, I mean, we really believe weird things, I'll be honest with you. What that means, if I believe and I take it into my heart, and I start living 
the gospel, it's, it's like a seed that's planted in me, and then it starts taking over all, it starts growing. I start becoming completely different. But not only that, the gospel is the seal of my inheritance in heaven, that someday I'm going to walk down the golden roads and I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. Like, really? This isn't, I'm not a huckster. This isn't some snake oil sales job. That you and I are going to be so different that when people see us, they're going to say, you look just like him. That's incredible. I know people that, how I have shared in this blessing, I know people that, and this will sound weird how I say it, before they really accepted the gospel, I couldn't, even, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Like they were weird, they were strange, they were arrogant. And when they accepted the gospel, the strangest thing happened. It, it's like we had the same, they became my, one of my best friends. Like they changed. Like the encouragement we received from people who really believe the gospel, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. But you're only going to buy this if you believe it. If you really believe this. So in this passage, Paul says that since the gospel is so important, since this is so worth it, there's two things we must do to make this product attractive. Instead of being this slick snake oil salesman, somehow we have to make this attractive to people. Because did you know it's not? And so Paul says we have two tasks. You and I have two tasks. And the first one is found in 12b again. Look at what he says. He writes, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. So Paul's saying, I gave up pay. I, I should be paid, but I gave up pay. And I'll endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So our first task is remove all obstacles from people. I believe one of the reasons people are not ready to hear the gospel is because of all the baggage that has come with this over the years, especially in our culture. Their behaviors and attitudes from Christians that has blocked the gospel from getting into people's brains. I just wrote down some of the, some of the uh, obstacles. And in some sense, we need to take ownership and take blame from the obstacles we have put in people's way. One of them is dead religion. Just coming on Sunday, just to come on Sunday. I just go, I go to church because I'm supposed to go to church. My grandma told me to go to church. And, and then on, then Monday through Saturday, I'm a completely different person. But on Sunday, I'm a good, I'm a good church-going person. That's an obstacle. Because people can sniff that a mile away, which is akin to what I'd call hypocritical posers. I was talking to somebody who said his son doesn't want to, come to Christ because of all the hypocrites. And usually what we do is we like, but everybody's a hypocrite. And I want to I say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't we just do all we can to stop being a hypocrite? We're supposed to live blameless lives, aren't we? I mean, aren't we asked to live 
like the calling we've received, instead of saying, well, everybody's a hypocrite, start being somebody that isn't a hypocrite anymore. Stop swearing. Stop laughing at rotten, rude, sick things. Be somebody that honestly is kind. Some, some Christians, you know, this is good news, but some Christians, you talk to them, and it's like, this is the worst news in town. I don't want to be around them. You know, like, why are they so angry all the time? I would say sometimes we give the wrong idea about the character of God. Some Christians present this God that, oh, he'll forgive anything you do, whatever you do. Don't worry about it. Like, he's a, a little nice pat you on the back, wimpy God. He's not a wimpy God. He's a God to fear. And then some people present a mean old cantankerous God, that he's this God that just keeps notes on everything you do wrong. No, he's just, he's good, he's holy, he's great. And then also false promises, kind of like the snake oil will cure anything. We think, man, you come, you know the gospel and your life will be great. Is that true? Is that true? Not necessarily. We've got to present the gospel as it is. Sometimes we're asked to die to ourselves, and that's hard. And I would also say one of the problems is our selfish factions. I was, I was going to talk a lot about masks. I don't, I don't really want to talk about masks, but here's what I'll say about it. Give up your rights. If you're with somebody that really feels that, you know what, they do work, serve them. If you're with somebody that really is, as you talk to them, and they really have a problem with the mask, don't judge them. Be, serve the person you're with at the moment. Why? Because of the second thing he says. Is that our objective is to win hearts. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And he goes on and on, verse 20, to the Jews I become a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I become as one under the law that I might win those under the law. What does win mean? I think in the old, what I'd say old school Christianity, conservative Christianity, winning somebody was leading them to Christ, soul winning, getting a notch on your belt, led another one to Christ. Gave an argument, got them to say the sinner's prayer, Put a notch on that belt. That's not what win means. Listen to this definition of win. Instead of provoking someone to anger or showing them how wrong their lifestyle choices are, I want to hopefully obtain their confidence and affection so I can have access to their minds, which gives me access to their hearts. Winning somebody... Is, is so living that they want to know, wow, that stuff changed you. Does it really work? You, you, you draw them in to where they open up their hearts to you. And they want to know why you are the way you are and why you do what you do. Winning isn't a notch on the belt. Winning is affection. It's when I live in such a way, someone will finally ask me, Chris, have you really taken a drink from that bottle? And when you did, did it work? Because I want some. I'll, I'll tell you about my friend Jeff. 
I went to college at a pretty, it was a, it was a rotten school. I went to a bad college, I'll be honest with you. And um, I was in a fraternity. And after I graduated college, I came to know Christ. And then I started going to a school called Moody Bible Institute, and it was in Chicago. It's in downtown Chicago. And all of my fraternity buddies were having this party at an Irish pub. So they invited me to come, and I, I, I'm like, all right, I'll go. I'll go. And it's, where, it's one of those Irish pubs where they sing Irish songs like the green alligator and long neck geese. If you know that song, you've got problems. But I went there, and I walk in, and all my fraternity friends see me. And they say, hey, Weeks, where you been? Where you been? I said, well, I've given my life to Christ. I said, oh, you're probably one of those corner preachers that are yelling at everybody. I said, no, I'm not one of those guys. And they're like, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? And one guy came up to me, and he said, hey, so tell me. If I don't believe in the Jesus the way you do, what happens to me? I'll probably go to hell, right? <laughs> like, they're just ripping me apart. And I just listened. I was there for two hours talking to some guys. The whole time, there's a person watching me, listening to me. His name is Jeff. He called me two days later on the phone. And he said, Chris, I just got to tell you, you have something. I was watching you. You're different. And I've got questions. Can I come over? So he came over, and he had a big legal pad with about 20 questions and a yellow legal pad. And he said, my life is a wreck, and I know nobody else's answers, but I think you do. Can you help me? It was amazing. He came, he'd come over every Monday night with 20 more questions. And about six months later, I was able to lead him to Christ. He got baptized in Lake Michigan that year. It was incredible. But part of it is he was watching and listening and wanting what I had. That's what it means to win. When you can get somebody to want what you have. Oftentimes, people just, I don't want what you have because you seem pretty miserable. We're pretty miserable. Man, the world's going to, you know what, in a handbasket. You watch the news? Wow, I really want to be around you. You're happy. You have a lot of hope. Well, you trust in Christ, don't you? Well, it's all gone. It. Settle. Slow down. So Paul basically ends in verse 24, and he says this at the end. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And he goes, why don't you sacrifice your life for others because you know what you're going to get in heaven if you do? It's, in, it's incredible. It's going to be incredible. So sacrifice your rights. Because this is true. And the rewards are, they're worth it. 